Okay, good enough. Than usual. <laughs> That's us. Better than usual. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. This is a podcast where one of us will find a strange or bizarre piece of media and share it with the other person who hasn't experienced that piece of media. So today we're continuing from part one, our retelling of the book Lords of the Sky by Angus Wells. So if you haven't listened to part one, probably should go back and do that because this won't make a lot of sense if you haven't done that. It may not make a lot of sense if you have <laughs> done that. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> anyway, so we don't have a back of the book for you to read today, Danielle. I'm so sorry because you already read it last time. Bummer. But you're not off the hook yet. I figured maybe you should give a little summary of what happened last time just to catch everyone up since it's been a while since the last episode was either listened to presumably by our listeners or recorded by us. Listeners can't see my face cringing, but um, I have What are you cringing about, Danielle? Trying to remember what happened a week uh-huh. ago <laughs> in this book. It's a real challenge. So uh-huh. why don't we start with the most important part of last week, the very beginning, the map. Oh, yeah, there was a map that Sam really didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I won't mention it again in this episode, but it was important we recap that just so I can get it out there. He didn't like the map because there were two parts to the map and both of the parts were identical. So there was like the map and then there was a little like inset, but the inset was pretty much exactly the same as the actual map. Yeah. So <laughs> and that really pointless. bothered him. <laughs> More than it should. I'll admit that. I admit that it was a minor thing to get worked up about, but I don't apologize for it. Yeah, validly, both maps should be different. Like why have an inset on a map if it's the exact Thank same you. thing as Thank your you. other map <laughs> so that was that was the beginning i'd actually kind of forgotten about that amazingly since i think we talked about it for like 20 minutes <laughs> that was like 80 percent of what we discussed <laughs> last time how could you forget the map oh now i'm so know. glad i made you bring it back up <laughs> i immediately rejected it all from my brain as soon as we were done <laughs> all right so we got the map done continue please okay so let's see there was a boy good Something with a D. Dar dar something. Oh my god, this is great. (laughs) The first like 30 something pages are him being 12 ish. Was he 12? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got it. And he wanted to to be a, a. a fighter i don't know the word i'm looking for is sure warrior fighter yeah warrior that's a good that's the word he wanted to be a warrior <laughs> but somebody some mage or something came up and told him he would be better as like this the, the thing that remembers the person that remembers their history a rememberer or do you remember the fancy word for it almost <laughs> Mnemonicos. Oh, mnemonicos. Yeah, which is like a person in their society that remembers all of their history. Because books don't exist. Yeah. He's like, I guess that sounds kind of cool. I could try that out for a while and see if I like it. And then we stay with him being 12 for a really long time, even though he can't start his adventure until he's 16. Yep. Um, You're doing very well. I'm uh, impressed. Yeah, this is as far as I remember, to be fair. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) And then it jumps ahead and he eventually is 16 and he gets to go to the school, well, like 
college thing to learn how to be a mnemonic coach. Danielle, you skipped like <laughs> another 60 pages before he got to the school. Wait, didn't maybe you did and then I and then you backtracked and now I can't no, remember. No, I, mean, I I I got I jumped around a lot. I'll admit I was confused, but we remember he went to the keep with the wizard or I'm sorry, the mage and he went to that spooky no. spooky forest and then they left and his butt got sore from oh, riding the, the horse. The wood, the the yeah. piece of wood, the magic wood. <laughs> the spooky woods, the haunted woods and then his butt got sore from riding a horse. Yeah, I actually did not remember any of that. Yeah, cuz it's mm, doesn't was, seem that was important. It re- <laughs> was it relative to the plot? <laughs> Yeah, so that happened, and he was with the the guy, the friend of the mage, who's not very helpful. And Dirt. Yeah, and Dirt. And uh, then does he get to go to the school? Well, he gets on a boat first. Right, I know. I was getting at that point, but he gets to okay, the school, I'm sorry. right? Well, I mean, he gets to the school eventually, but there's a whole lot of stuff where he's on a boat with two other people. Right, he gets on a boat, and he, he meets his two friends, but one of the friends is not actually a friend. They just, like, disappear from the story, and then when they come back, they die. Yes, yes. Yeah, I remember him, because I felt really bad for him. <laughs> Puritan. Puritan, yeah. And so he's friends with one of the guys on the boats. Oh, it's the Clinton. guy, the rich guy, the yeah, the elder's son or whatever. Alder. Alder's son. <laughs> the one I you like couldn't tell how you were pronouncing it. Yeah, yeah, and it's not the tree. Yeah, it's not the tree. <laughs> and there may be elder and alder trees. We have not determined this. Let I have know. not done Listeners, no research since last episode. <laughs> so he finally gets to the school. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. He's at the school and he's learning stuff. <laughs> and he, uh, they have that. They have the servant who is the half. Oh wait, you forgot creature. about the big fight they had with the bully. Oh yeah, there's a fight with a bully. Is that relative? Is that does that come up later too? No, that comes out the first thing that happens when they get to the school. Yeah, but was it like actually relevant to the rest of the plot? No, absolutely not. That's why I don't remember it. Come on, <laughs> you're asking I mean, too I'm much. I'm being mean here, but to be fair, it's all in there, and it all takes up a lot of space. So I'm going to make sure it comes back up. I'm trying to summarize. You said to summarize. I was summarizing, okay. and now you're trying to make it go longer. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if I had to suffer through it, so do you. Oh gosh. Okay. So bully, blah blah blah. There's a servant yep. who's half beast creature, and there's like a whole not half beast creature. Part, He's full beast. He's mostly human, but kind of a beast. Well, they're, they're called the Change, and they were made from beasts to be human-like. They're, they're like, they take a beast and they transform it into a human to retain some of its bestial qualities from its forebearers, but is largely human. Right. And then there's like a whole backstory about how they used to like, they made them to send them off to the dragons in the place yes. that they used to live so that the dragons would eat them and be appeased like gods. Sure. There's dragon riders and there's a dragon city. And all the change. Dragon castles. Dragon I'm sorry. castles. I had to that. That was the coolest part of the book so <laughs> yeah. far was the word dragon castles. Yeah, there's dragon castles. And then sometimes the change to go up to a big civilization area up there to live after. Well, we don't know. Supposedly. Fact, there's a civilization there, but I mean, Supposedly. we've all read books before. <laughs> oh, and there's like a war going on with oh, the yeah, other. Oh, yeah. The big driving force <laughs> oh, yeah. of the whole like, plot. That's like the main plot. <laughs> <laughs> there's a war going on with the the country across the way across the inlet the island i don't know there's supposed to be magic the islands on. yeah the on and there are the the islands are supposed to guard them to clarify the people on the islands are supposed yes. to guard them the islands themselves are not guarding them no okay and they're not magic islands i mean they are magic islands because magic people live on them but they are not 
in and of themselves magic. Yes. And so at some point, uh, everybody at the school, oh, the on kind of like break through into the city and they have to conscript everybody basically. So everybody has to like mm-hmm. help kill the on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a big fight. And there's somewhere in there, the main character guy, Dar something. Um, there we go (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna see if it came back to you nope i would definitely went like dartmouth or something (laughs) dartmouth that's a school yeah i know (laughs) he meets (laughs) so i didn't say it because i was pretty sure it was wrong um (laughs) he meets this woman blind mage beautiful blind mage falls in insta love with her insta love that's what happens yep gives up his prostitutes and <laughs> is totally in love with her and then like multiple years pass actually i was wrong about this and i learned this in the first chapter of the new section it was only a year oh well he's been in love with her for a year but then they have to they have to split up at the end of the the book or end of the first part of the book. I don't remember why, to be honest. So she gets sent to the Sentinels to bolster the power of those magic-bearing islands against the On, and he doesn't because he's not magic. Okay. Does he just go back to school? Is that like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they like kind of defeat the On, or like they at least sort of they repel win. that. Yeah, that they repel that attack. attack from the On, and I think. That's my summary. I got to give you an A plus for that because there was a lot. I mean, that is 150 pages you just summarized and you touched on everything that was actually important. I'm impressed because I genuinely, when you asked me to do that, I could not remember anything past the age of 12. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad it came back to me. I want to try a few things just for funsy. Do you remember the name of the village he grew up in? Oh, Whitefish. Yeah, yeah, because it's the most generic name ever. Okay, good. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. You should be. All right, I want to see if that stuck with you or not. <laughs> Only that couldn't remember the main character's name, but I remember the village he grew up in. That's great. Love it. So before we dive back into the next section, I just want to quickly talk about our reaction to this book, because I don't want people to get the wrong idea. So you and I were talking the other day, and I was re-listening to the podcasts after you had edited them, and I realized that it kind of sounded like we didn't necessarily agree. Obviously, we don't always agree with the author's choices, but in comparison to previous books that we had done podcasts of, it sounded like we were kind of blaming the author for a lot of things. Um, and we had mm-hmm. a really interesting discussion, I thought, about like why the author came up so much in these in this podcast. And one of the things that you had brought up is that there's a lot of world building in the novels, especially in the first part or two. And there's also a first person narrative. And so naturally, that tends to fall back more on the author than the previous titles that we've done. Right. It's hard to separate like the character actions. If we can say, why does this character do this? That character doesn't make any sense as opposed to why is the author describing this? It's hard to separate those two things, even though, of course, in all instances, it all goes back to the author. Exactly. And especially in world building, I think there's literally, you can't blame a character for that. You know, that is exactly what it is from the author. And it's not because I think he's a bad author. I don't always agree with some of the choices that were made, and I don't want that to be seen as a like, condemnation of the author or somehow like I'm trying to put him down. And obviously, we're not going to try to say that you shouldn't read or enjoy any of the books we do on this podcast, this one included. I mean, our, our first episode was an Asimov book, and 
you know, he's an amazing author, but we still found that that was a pretty weird book. And there were some really weird decisions in there that we maybe would not have made. But just because we wouldn't have made them doesn't mean that they're wrong or that they're bad decisions. It's just a difference because people are different. I agree. Same thing as Nancy Drew. I've read a lot of Nancy Drew, even several of the graphic novels. And so uh, Nancy Vampire Slayers. I've read it a couple of times, yeah. <laughs> um, though it, the plot still remained mysterious when I read it the last time because I couldn't remember <laughs> it. <laughs> and I think that even when we don't agree or have questions about the decisions made about a work, that leads to really interesting and fun discussions like this. So that actually causes a lot of enjoyment, I think, for us. Yeah, even this discussion, I think that's actually really interesting because it makes you dissect the books, even on a different level. I mean, we we're already dissecting the books, and now we're yeah. re-dissecting the books. <laughs> a section of the books, like that's a little meta. <laughs> we're dissecting our dissection of the books. This is this is like a regression problem. <laughs> so I'm glad you brought that up, Danielle. It was a really interesting discussion, and maybe we'll talk about this kind of meta commentary, our dissection of our dissections later. But for now, let's get back into this book and into part two. Let's do it. So we pick up immediately after the end of part one, where we're actually shifting perspective for the first chapter to follow the blind mage. I'm assuming you don't remember her name? Um, no. <laughs> no. Her name, we, we dubbed her Ryan. Because oh, yeah, with the W. Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> so we dubbed her Ryan so we could continue talking about her without spending 20 minutes every time trying to figure out how to pronounce her name. Or just laughing. Yes. And this is the emo section of the book. Yes. Where Ryan is very sad. She's on a boat headed towards the Sentinels and she's looking back at the city, Durbrecht, where the college is. See, that's why I couldn't remember whatever his name is. <laughs> why? Because there's so many D names? Yes. Okay. Fair. I mean, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> And she's all very sad. She's like, oh, Davio, I loved you, but we have to go. My duty is to the Sentinels. And she has a best friend on the boat who's trying to cheer her up and say, hey, maybe you will meet someone else to love, you know, in the future on the island. Maybe find a nice mage to settle down with for a little while. He's have some fun with. But unfortunately, she determines to be sad. And she thinks, well, maybe. And then she thinks about, well, maybe Davio, when he's sent off to be a story man, will find someone else to love. And that's okay. I'll still love him even if he, you know, beds someone else. And she gives him permission, basically, which is very important that she give him permission to do that, I guess. Of course. How old are they now? Like 16, 17, 18, 17? They're probably like 18, 19, something like that. Oh. Yeah. Young love. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it is young love. And for that, I think you meant by that stupid love. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. We've all been young and stupid in love. We've all done that. So... She goes off to be sad, and the chapter ends with her reaching the Sentinels and seeing a giant tower and being like, okay, time to start my next phase of my life. And that's the only part of the whole section that she's mentioned. Do they have any plans to get back together at any point? It was just like, this, this is separation and we may never see each other again. Yeah, that. You know, there's a standard, maybe someday fate will bring us back together. And uh, Davio entertains, in the next chapter, entertains some ideas of absconding to the Sentinels, you know, sort of abandoning the school or something like that. But those are quickly dashed because A, how, B, only mages are allowed in the Sentinels and they're not just going to let them traipse in there and, you know, settle down on these super special military, you know, secret islands. So, no, they really just sort of resign themselves to separation. Got it. So, that is 
the one time we have a third-person narrative following Ryan around for a chapter, and then we promptly shift back to Daviot's first-person narrative, and I don't remember if we ever get Ryan's narrative back again, <laughs> but, you know, it was an interesting choice to stop for a single chapter out of the of the 19 or 20 in the two sections to look at her perspective briefly. Does she ever come back ever in the book? You probably don't know that. You don't remember. I don't know, I, I'm 100% sure she does. Okay. Like, I, I, she definitely does. And even if I hadn't read the book before, I'd be convinced she does because he never stops mentioning her. I mean, it'd be really funny if she didn't come back, but that'd also be a massive waste of time. Yeah, but he seems like he's fine with writing massive wastes of time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you will see that in great detail in this chapter, I promise, or in this section. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. We go back to Daviot. He's recovered from his injury he sustained during the uh, invasion that they repelled briefly. He's back up and about, and there's a big sort of showdown between him and the warden of the college and the president of the college or the, or the master of the college who insists that his servant changed person, the friend that he made during his stay of the changed Ert, be sent away as punishment for him sort of, A, befriending him because that's not really a thing you're supposed to do as the true men are not supposed to befriend the change. You're supposed to keep into their separate castes, really, where the slave class and the not slave class don't mix. So they're sending Ert away because he befriended his master. Yeah, basically, they, they can't. Their official reason is that they can't trust Ert because Ert was carrying messages for Davio to the mage and back and forth, so they could, you know, canoodle. Sure, but I mean, he's a servant. Like, isn't he just supposed to do what the the guy tells him to do? I mean, they, their argument is his first duty is to the school, to the college that employs him, not to the individual students. And so it, he was derelict in his duty to the school by assisting a student in breaking the rules, or at least breaking the unspoken rules of the school. There's an unspoken rule that he can't dally with some town folks person. No, not the town folks. Mages. Like the two, the mages and the, and the mnemonicos are not supposed to uh, come oh, together. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, again, it's sort of mentioned, but they don't really care. It's just sort of like, oh, it's not explicit that they shouldn't do that. It's just sort of implied that it's a bad idea because they both have their studies to attend to and they both have their duties so it can never work. I mean, don't most couples have things that they need to be doing in life that are not, that are independent of the other person? <laughs> like I don't, Danielle, I don't know. I mean, again, Monaco is supposed to have an itinerant lifestyle, never supposed to settle down and mages are bound for like the sentinels or the border cities as guards. So it's not like... That sounds like their problem though, not the school's yeah. problem. <laughs> you know what? You know, I, I let people make their own decisions. I agree. But apparently it's very frowned upon, I guess. Maybe it distracts them. I don't know. It's not my policy. Take it up with the school. Okay, well. Yeah, okay. Write a strong letter. <laughs> Dear school in this fantasy novel. anyway and it's also as punishment for punishment for davio that Ert is being sent away because it's sort of like you know hey no more friend for you and it's all very contrived and so Ert gets sent away and they have a very sort of nice moment where Ert's encouraging him not to stand up for him to accept that you know he's going to accept some blame for this as sort of an act of friendship, he's going to take some of the blame and that Davio shouldn't make more trouble for himself by trying to argue that Ert shouldn't be sent away, just to accept it and not make things worse. And so that happens and Ert gets sent away. The power of friendship. 
yeah, pretty much power, friendship, Earth gets sent away. But unfortunately, the Skylords, the On invaders with the Kohlrabi Knights, gotta get all those buzzwords. They're the Skylords? They're called the Skylords. They're not the Lords of the Sky. They are the Skylords. Is it different than the Lords of the Sky? I mean, I don't remember this at all. Like, but again, are there really two divisions? One's called Lords of the Sky and the other ones are called the Skylords. I mean, we, we, we're we all convinced that at some point the Dragon Masters are going to come back with the Dragon. The Dragon Riders are going to come back riding dragons. And those are going to be the Lords of the Sky who are going to defeat the Skylords. That's sort of my prediction. Why would they have the same name, Sam? Because it's sort of like, a, oh, you think you're the Skylords? Well, we're the real Lords of the Sky. That's just 12-year-old logic. <laughs> You know what? I may be wrong. Again, I could be giving this book too little credit, and maybe it's much more intelligent than that, but I'm guessing that's what's going to happen. Okay. Mark my words, the dragon riders are going to declare themselves the lords of the sky. All right. So the sky lords, which are from On, you said? On, on Fesheng, the the vaguely Asian-sounding land from which they were banished because the Dar invaded the land and kicked them out when they came fleeing the dragons. Yes, I, I remember that. Okay. I didn't say that much in my summary, but yes, that was a thing that happened. It was. So the, the An have a, we agree, fairly legitimate claim against the, yeah, I'm on the people there as being jerks. So far, so good. So chapter 10 is basically them just sending Earth away and... Davio being upset about that. And they tell him, hey, you're going to graduate soon, which is weird because I thought he was supposed to be at the college for four years and he was with the mage for one year and he met her after his first year. So yeah, I was just wondering, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> the timeline doesn't make any sense to me. And I could be just, again, compressing it in my head as opposed to what's actually happening in the book. But it seems like he's only been at the school for two years. I, I can't figure out the timeline. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like I'm trying to like figure out back to the future or something. <laughs> but regardless, he's apparently due to... To graduate. Graduate in the spring. But in the meantime, there is a continued uptick of assaults from the on. They're breaking through. They're assaulting the city sort of on a, on a near continuous basis. And the city starts to look pretty ragged. Daviot sort of becomes the leader of the militia from the school. And in fact, the quote is, But I was admired by my fellows. Indeed, I was appointed a comor of a student band and hailed as a leader. Because of course he was. He's just so good at everything. I have a real, I have two questions. Please. Do they really have no spies in the on population after hundreds and hundreds of years? Of assault? No. Uh, I'm, I was going to bring this up later because I actually have in my notes that there's some thing. But the word boats is just in big, bold exclamation points in my notes because... Again, I think the on should be using regular boats. Why all the sky boats? But B, why don't the Dar send their own boats to go attack the on? Like, why are they just sitting there waiting for them to attack? Why are they always just passively accepting the attack? Yeah, why don't they ever do anything proactive about that? That's very confusing to me. And it's not how you play risk. <laughs> no, it's not how you play risk. It's not how you fight a war. You don't sit there and say, well, our enemy usually attacks every 50 years. Who will just sit here for 50 years waiting for them to attack us? It doesn't make any sense. Do you think it's because they're only attacked every 50 years? So they're like, whatever, we'll just deal with it every 50 years. We don't have any threats in the interim. I mean, maybe, but they're like big attacks. I know. They're, they're, they're feared. They're, they're devastating. They're like lazy. I can't, I can't explain. I mean, I, I understand why <laughs> no one sends boats. Like, again, looking at that cursed map, they don't look that, that far apart. There's no scale bars on the map, which would have been useful instead of a useless insert, but there are no scale bars. So I don't know how far apart the islands are, but they don't look that far apart. Interesting choices. And then my, my second question is, sure. why is 
Davio, Davio, in charge. Yeah, sure. I have such a hard time with his name. Why is Davio in charge of this ragtag group of school children? Um, They're all the mo- the school militia. Yeah, only be- I only ask this because during the fight he got like overwhelmed, super scared, yeah, and, ran and away. like freaked yeah, yeah. out. So why would anybody put him in charge of a little militia? Because apparently, he's proved himself to be a great fighter. And a, an able leader. Since when? Because the sentence said so. But that's but there. <laughs> <laughs> it just says so. That I mean, he's always a pretty that good fighter. Make it so. <laughs> Danielle, are you arguing with the sentence? I'm arguing. Yes, I'm arguing the backstory of this character with like it needs more emotional and psychological depth. You mean he actually needs growth as opposed to simply being a blank slate into which all perfect attributes can be poured? Yeah, you can't like in the last chapter or whatever, the last chapter of the first section, he like freaked out. <laughs> and then the next he got one, really he's scared. In charge of everybody. But he still, uh, to be fair, he, he freaked out first and got his stuff together and they fought off a group of the on that had crashed in the city and then he got wounded. Sure, but that doesn't mean that he won't freak out the next time like absolutely we see no indication that he's mastered his fear but he just happened to control it that one time and apparently though that's all you need just one time man i disagree with the, I, I with the school children's choice of leaders <laughs> i don't care if he's the main character i agree it is a bad decision there has to be a better fighter and leader in that group than the guy who freaked out I agree, okay. but they don't have one, apparently. Oh, please. Please continue. Okay. So he's appointed the leader of the militia. They fight a bunch. Some people die. One of the teachers dies. We don't really care about him. It's cool. <laughs> he has the first of what will become a series of dreams because- Are they prophetic dreams? Yes. They're always prophetic dreams. <laughs> Again, take any sort of fantasy cliche you can think of, and that's what this book is doing. And he has his first prophetic dream- which is, he's in, I think, the, the, the forest, the haunted woods from earlier uh-huh. that they briefly visited. The ones visited. I forgot existed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he hears Ryan calling him from one direction and Earth calling him from another direction. And my notes just say, subtle. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, very subtle. And so he gets his marching orders. He graduates. He gets his marching orders to go along the west coast of Columbeck. The one of the big continents, which is not Dragon Neck, where there are no dragons, but is not Urdarbeck, where there are dragons. Again, I hate the geography so much. <laughs> You've made that abundantly clear. I can't stop. <laughs> so he gets on a boat to leave the city and, and get taken to the West Coast, and the boat is called the Dragon. And my notes just say subtle in even bigger letters, <laughs> because that's apparently all this book is, is increasingly levels of subtlety. So he got, wait, he something about a boat, Dragon? What? He, he got into a boat that's named the Dragon. The boat to take named, him away from named the, city. the Dragon. I thought you said a boat and he was going to a dragon, and I was like, wait, no. what? <laughs> no, no. He's on a boat named the Dragon, which is taking him away from the city to start his new leg of adventure, because uh, subtlety. Yeah, it's, it's all a... A metaphor. I, yeah, a metaphor the that's bludgeoning you across the head like a cudgel. <laughs> a very obvious one. Yeah. And he talks to the captain of the boat, and he's traveling with his sister and their daughters, and they're fleeing the city because they're being like refugees, they're being driven out by all the constant attacks. And he has a moment of epiphany on the boat where he's like, 
I was so sad about Ryan leaving me, and here is this this boatman who lost his wife, who was killed in this attack, and his sister lost her husband, and they're fleeing, leaving behind everything they ever had and everything they known. I should stop being so sorry for myself. And it's like you first realize that people can have different levels of sadness, uh-huh. that some people can be like sadder than other people. Yes. And that's the big revelation he takes from that. So apparently- How old is he? <laughs> again, 19. Like, don't you, most people realize that kind of like earlier on in life? So that is his big, the, the boat ride just gives him that sort of character growth, I guess. So that's the purpose for the boat ride. Are we still in the dream? No, the dream ended a long time ago. Oh. <laughs> the dream was just literally the two people calling from different directions and he woke up. Oh, I thought that the boat was part of no, the dream. No, he graduated from the school. He was sent out to travel the West Coast and he got on the boat to take him See, there. I missed that because the cat bit my finger. Okay, well, you know what? I can't help you pay attention through that. <laughs> I mean, she bit my finger and then I got sidetracked and I missed the part about it not being a dream. Oh, Danielle, please. <laughs> if I can get you to pay attention, what's our audience going to do? <laughs> Dungeon, it was just that one one little bit. It hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so boat traveling, he had emotional yeah. growth. And so he, he basically sort of gets over his melancholy and he's like, Oh, I guess I accepted my parting from Ryan was inevitable. I can't change it, so I guess it's time to go to the future. So he has a very quick emotional turnaround from emo sad Daviot to resigned and future looking Daviot because he met one sad dude on a boat. Well, I mean, he had all that character growth to become the school's leader, so <laughs> like that only took a line. The rest of the entire section are him just sort of traveling around from keep to keep, doing quests? his storytelling thing. Oh, just storytelling. That's literally it. And also sort of collecting the mood. He's supposed to be like a barometer for the mood of the people and to report back at every keep to the mage who's going to report it back to the colleges and the, and the leaders about how the populace is feeling, if they're ready for the invasion, all that kind of stuff. That seems weirdly suspicious and spy-like. It is. I mean, they're basically used to – the, the story people are used to as propaganda machines, basically, to spread tales and encourage the populace and also to gauge – them so that they can, you know, make change. Oh, if this keep is, seems unprepared, let us know so we can go and tell them to get their act together. So in the 13 whatever chapters, do, do you like, do you learn a I'm lot? I'm going to go through of, them. I, and then, you know, I have to go through it, but does he, do you learn a lot about the history? Does he tell stories? Is it just him reporting No, back no, he doesn't the- mention the story. He never actually tells the story. He just says, I told the story of this and that, and then I told the story of this and that, and that's it. You never actually hear him tell a story. Interesting. Considering that's his whole job, you think that you would at least get one story that he told? Yeah, no, he just he says, I told the story of, you know, some made up fantasy name or this person and that person and that was and it was well received and then that was it. Zodavio reaches the destination, he starts going to various keeps and telling stories, and he mentions that the traveling storytellers are not without some measure of danger. Not from, like, brigands or anything, because I don't think there are any brigands or outlaws that we encounter in this whole book, which is a little strange. Brigands. It's a great word. What's up? <laughs> I love it. I love your words. All right. You know what? I don't need this from you. I'm getting this from the book. I don't need it from you. <laughs> so what's the danger? The danger is that they'll starve to death, which seems goofy. Like they, Apparently, they they can wander out wherever they want. They go into the hinterlands and the, and the unknown regions, and they can search. I'm like... 
why are the storytellers taking these giant risks and such that they might starve to death? Is it like it's not uncommon to starve to death? I'm like, that's not that's not good. You're storytellers. You don't need to risk your lives to tell a dang story. What? But apparently they do. That's an odd author choice because it it's not very like pressing in terms of storytelling. <laughs> that like you think it'd be more interesting to be at risk from brigands right, and like outlaws. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that might be like a more like oh, you, at any point you, if you're traveling in these sort of less populated places, there could be outlaws or you know robbers or whatever. But no, just sometimes they starve to death and so carry lots of food. There's no kind of like magical solution to this. They live in a magical world. Yes. So they live in a magical world. And he's like, but I'm not too worried about that because I can forage pretty well and all that kind of stuff. Do they teach so, them that in school? Like, is there a foraging no, I class? I think he's just like, he's like, I, I grew up in Whitefish Village. I, I, you know, I can forage. I'm assuming they learned about like all the medicinal texts in history because if they memorize literally everything about their people, that would probably be included in that. So they know, you know, oh, these mushrooms are toxic and these ones are not. Do you think they'd learn how to make food from nothing? Because that seems really important if part of your population dies from starvation. Again, I think it's a small portion. I think it's just the storytellers, the storymen who get lost wandering in, in the outback, so to speak. But it was just mentioned and it doesn't really become a problem. So <laughs> That's good. Why mention it then? So he gets to one of the keeps and he meets up with one of the mages there and she tells him some very distressing news. This is my favorite. He mentions that this was an alarming development of the Skylord's magic. And then three paragraphs later, we actually learn what that is because he spends it listening to the alder and his mage sort of waffle about, you know, telling him and they draw it out very slowly. Three pages after that, we find out what the actual magic that the now command is, and it's that they're sending out small boats, not the big boats, but smaller ones with only 10 people in them. And the reason they're able to defy the world winds and send their boats whenever they want is because they've harnessed the elementals to their control. And so apparently elementals exist in this world. I was like, did we learn about those before? <laughs> we did not until it was mentioned, but Dodger's like, oh yeah, the elementals totally knew about those. I didn't. But he did, because he's a storyteller. Yeah, so you memorize all this stuff. And so they now have elementals, they've bound to the boat, which is how they're able to steer them against the will of the wind come and go. And so they think that they're sending these small boats out as scouting missions. So are these elementals, like, are they just magical things? I don't know. <laughs> are they, like, are they creatures? Are they just I pieces of know. nature that have magic imbued in them, and therefore you can harness Danielle, their power? Danielle, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Okay. We encounter them once when they fight the Skylight, which we'll get to in literally just a moment. Okay, but Sorry. I have no clue what they are. If they're like spirits or if they're conjurings or if they're natural. I don't know. I have no idea. They're just <laughs> elementals, Danielle. Okay. They're elementals. And so they think that the small boats are being used as scouting missions prepared in preparation of the Great Coming, where they will first off, unfortunately named, thank you, Danielle. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> <laughs> so they are preparing for a, a, a large-scale invasion is what they think the scouting missions are for. And my thinking was, first off, what? 
why don't they scout beforehand? I mean, I know maybe they only mastered the elementals recently, but why, if they could send the big boats against the world winds to invade, they must have had some kind of power to overcome the world winds, which some kind of control the elementals. Why did they start by sending a bunch of fruitless invasions that were small against them and then stop doing that to start scouting? I don't have an answer for you. I just, I really can't fathom the motivations of any of the military people or any of the military strategy here. None of it seems to make sense to yeah, me. Yeah, like I was going to say, it didn't make sense earlier either. So why would it make sense now? I, I don't know, Danielle. I just want something to make sense. <laughs> nope. And of course, Davio's like, oh, we once mastered the dragons. Everyone's like, shut up about the freaking dragons. They're dead. <laughs> but they are not. <laughs> Duh. But he won't shut up about them. So he constantly talks about the dragons. How good would that be if they were actually dead, though? <laughs> Again, Danielle, I would love for this book to surprise me. That would be amazing. I don't think it will, but I sincerely hope it would. <laughs> All the mages are very concerned because they're like, the on magic is taking a different path than our magic, and they we have no idea how they're doing it, and we can't combat that because it's too different from our style of magic. They would be able to resolve this if they had spies. Again, Danielle, you make great points. And here, <laughs> they mention how before the Skylords master the elementals, sometimes the boats... The skyboats wouldn't make it. They would get lost or blown off course. They were sort of less likely to make it to land. A lot of them would get blown off course and destroyed and wouldn't make landfall on the island, uh, the, the continent to invade. And again, my thought is, why skyboats? If they're so difficult to control, they're prone to getting blown off course, you can only use them once every 50 years, why not just regular freaking boats? Well, maybe there's issues in the water too. Maybe there are bigger issues in the water. I mean, if there's... I mean, they fled from the land when they were pushed out to the islands over the water, I presume. They didn't have skyboats then. But maybe half of their boats sunk, and so they thought maybe the air would be better. You know what, Danielle? I don't know. You could be right. But from what the information I have right now, it seems like boats would be the obvious solution to pretty much everyone's problems <laughs> in this world. So eventually he leaves this keep, and he's traveling back out in the wilderness, and he comes across a small farm village, and he sees... One of these small scouting skyboats sort of descend to attack the farmhouse. Does the farm village have a cool name? No. <laughs> it's not like Whitefish? <laughs> nope. It's not a village. It's just a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Oh, does it? Well, it could still have a name. Okay, how would he know that, Daniel? <laughs> no, maybe it's on a sign outside of the house. <laughs> on the fence. Okay, yeah. Welcome to the B&B, <laughs> farm in the middle of nowhere. All right. So skyboats are descending. No name, I'm sorry. There's a name for literally every alder and every mage and every alder's wife and children. He mentions them. I don't know if they matter. But not the farmhouse. <laughs> not the farmhouse. Oh, okay. So he sees this farmhouse and the on descend to attack. And he sees like a farmer and a few men uh, probably his sons stand, you know, out with their pitchforks to try to fend them off, while the women and children slip off into the back. And he has a brief moment of indecision, and he decides to hide and watch what happens because he's afraid, and also doesn't think he can do anything to help. How did he so become great a leader? Skills. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Why? <laughs> and so he just sits there and watches as the Sky Lords slaughter the men go inside the house and ransack it, taking all the food and supplies back to the boat. And then, even better, a few of them go out back behind the house to go find the women in the forest and presumably kill them. And all he says is, I did not see the women slain. I remained hidden, waiting as the black figures disappeared amongst the oaks, and in a while came back, their blades sheathed. 
So he just sort of watches a family get murdered. Did he even have a conversation with himself about like, how could I help? Oh, I can't help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had that brief conversation. Like, I you know, was afraid. I don't think I could do anything. There's nothing I could do to help them. Just one of me against 10 Kohlrabi knights and a wizard. No, I couldn't do anything. So he just hid and watched. <sighs> That's depressing. I know. Real hero material, this guy. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about him. <laughs> so the skyboat takes off, and then he runs back to the nearest town to sort of warn them, like, hey, there was a skyboat back there. Maybe I could have done that earlier, before the family was slaughtered, but apparently not. So luckily, there was a warband stationed there with a with a commer mage and a jennyman who were there. I don't know why, but he's like, hey, perfect. We can go ahead and, and destroy that skyboat. And first off, they give him a horse because he hadn't had a horse this whole time. So he put him on a horse and... Did his butt get sore? No, because he learned to ride in the city, Danielle. We've been over this. <laughs> and the Jennyman, I don't remember his name, Bardis or Barris or something like that, immediately takes a disliking to him. But the calmer mage, name of Kristen, seems to like him just fine. Sounds like a fun journey. Yes. And so... They go out to track the boat and see where it lands and makes camp for the night so they can go and attack them when they are at their least guarded, when they're eating or sleeping. And so they find them and they see where they're landing and they, and they hunker down for a little bit and they sort of chill out while they wait for night to fall. And he's talking to the maid named Kristen and he says this, which I think is kind of creepy. Uh, when she leans close to whisper to him, he says, she didn't smell of sweat. In fact, the breath that touched my face was sweeter still. And I'm like, hmm. Does he like her? Oh, man, we'll get to that. <laughs> Aw, poor Ryan. Yeah. And then he mentions as a metaphor about Dane come down from the mountains once more to hunt the earth. And I looked it up because who is Dane? And apparently it's a Greek myth. And then I'm like, wait a minute. How does he know about Greek myths? Yeah, it's like a whole other world building. So now my only thoughts are this world that he's created, Davio's world, is either... <laughs> Some distant future where the Greeks are all dead, but they still have all their myths and nothing between the Greeks and these people has survived. <laughs> or it's like a parallel universe where the Greeks still exist. I, I don't understand. How are Greek myths a part of his knowledge base? Because it's the first person. It's not like the author's making this metaphor. He's making this. I don't know. So that confused me. I would, I'm going for parallel universes because we like those around here. We do, apparently. <laughs> this one is equally as unsexy and sex-filled as the previous <laughs> one we discuss in The Gods Themselves. Excellent. We like to keep it on, on trend. <laughs> and so, Oberis, that was the guy, the name of the gentleman who didn't like him was Barris. Ooh. And so it's apparently Barris is jealous of him because he's got the hot for the mage Kristen, but she seems to like him. So that's a thing. So Barris likes Kristen, but Kristen likes Davio. Yeah, apparently. Uh, oh, I know. Love triangle. Not really, because she there's no one love decide anything. Line. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's a line, Danielle. In fact, it's, it's kind of a thing. Anyway, but they both like her, so that. Kind yeah, of but is, she only likes one of them, so it's not a triangle. You can like one person in a triangle. No, you can't. If two I people think like, I am the resident expert on love triangles. All right, you may be so, Danielle. The concept is two people liking one person. The concept is that the two people like one person, and that one person can't decide between the two of them. I mean, that's usually how it goes, but many love triangles, you know who's going to win. <laughs> this isn't about winning, but this person, there's no, like, tension. There's no way she's going to like Barris, 
Well, sometimes the other person is friended. Is friended. No. They're never gonna. They're never gonna be anything. They're more colleagues. Than that. That's it. <laughs> that can happen too. All right. I'm not arguing this, Danielle. <laughs> Love line. Okay, let's continue. <laughs> and so they fight off the knights and they kill them, and then the the boat explodes, but it doesn't, which is great. They do they explode the boat? No. So this is the line from the book, which I had to highlight because it is hilarious. It sounds dramatic in the telling. The boat, the airboat exploded, but in reality, it was not. Well, thank you. <laughs> Wait, how is it not dramatic? <laughs> because apparently the boat sort of floated up in the air, went like a balloon, letting out all its air and deflated and then caught fire. Are they like inflatable boats? It's like a, it's like a Zeppelin is my kind of thing. Like Not a Zeppelin, but like a long sausage-shaped red balloon with the basket underneath it. How did you not describe these airboats earlier? Because it never came up. We talked about airboats like 20 times. And what do you think they were? A big boats in the sky. Just like galleons flying through the air with sails. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. It's magic. So <laughs> like, how am I supposed to know that they're zeppelins? I mean, that's a fair point. I, I guess I never thought to say they were balloons because there was so much other stuff to get through that those details did not seem important i really didn't that's totally what i was imagining i'm not making that up they were just i believe you i absolutely believe you in the sky no they're, they're blimps now i have to now i have to go back and rethink my entire like mental image of this book don't waste your time it's not worth it <laughs> So, and as the boat deflates, the elementals are set free from around the, the perimeter of the balloon, and they seem grateful to be set free, and that's about it. And that's all we sort of understand about them. Oh. Well, that was good. <laughs> the big reveal, everybody, that the boats are not boats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are boats in the sense that they are boats, but they're not boats in the sense that they are the same kind of boat that you put on an ocean. Boats in that they're boats. <laughs> I mean, a boat is a broad term, Danielle. I mean, lots of things can be boats that aren't explicitly, you know, giant sailboats. I don't know about that. I mean, when you say a boat, most people think of a boat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this conversation is dumber than normal. I'm sorry, I'm still getting over the shock. <laughs> <laughs> I like how all the revelations in this chapter so far, the fact that the sky boats are blimps is your big thing. I really I, I, I don't. In my imagination, they did not have the technology to have blimps. But, okay, technology for blimp is just, it's a, it's a sack filled with air. I know, but I, I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah, okay. I've, I've moved on. I'm, got, I'm good. Okay. All right. Are you sure? Yeah, I think so. So, he goes back with Kristen and Barris to their keep, which was his next stop anyway, convenient, to report back on what happened. And to stay a while and tell his stories, like is his job, he gets in a conversation with Kristen, and they talk, and eventually they start sleeping together. Poor Orion. We'll get to that. And he's trying to pry some secrets from her, like does she know about the wild changed up in Ur-Darbeck? And does she have any of the secrets that he's been trying to find out, or about the dragons? And so is he she, just doing this as kind of like a side thing, or is he sleeping with her specifically to find out if she knows this information? No, he, he asks – like literally at every keep he stops at, they, he asks these questions. So I think 
this is why I had so much trouble keeping the story straight in the last chapter or the last section in this section is because the way information is parceled out in this book is very non-linear. I've noticed that. Or at least very chopped up. Like they'll talk about something like the history of the land in the first chapter and they'll tell you about it. Then they'll mention it again in you know five chapters later and they'll say the same stuff again because he's talking to someone else about it. But then they'll add just a little bit more hmm. and then it'll happen again. So every time... It's telling the same information over and over again, but slightly adding new pieces to it every time. So instead of just having him have a conversation where he learns this stuff, he has to learn this piece from this person and this piece from that person 40 pages later and this piece from that person 40 pages later. Just like real life, but boring because it's in a book. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't, I mean, sure, bear similitude, all about that. But also, come on, you got to sometimes massage reality to make books and movies or whatever more interesting and, and fun to read. Agreed. So he's talking to her about that and she's like, hey, do you, what did your mage, what did your love in Durbrecht say about this? Because they had mentioned their past lovers and they got uncomfortable enough with each other to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. He says, or he, he thinks to himself, I was not so much interested in plumbing her knowledge as the secrets of her body. <laughs> it's like, where are you going with that sentence, Sam? Yeah. That was a really – I thought that sentence was particularly like, oof, that's a kind of a gross sentence. I don't like it. I don't like that sentence. I'm just putting it out there. So apparently he didn't really like her for her mind. I guess not. No. Poor, and What was her name again? Kristen? Well, Kristen's a new one. Yeah. It gets worse than that because apparently he uh, calls out – Rowan Ryan's name while they're sleeping together several times? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's not okay. <laughs> she told me after that I spoke Ryan's name. I apologized, and she said it did not matter, though I think it did. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> you think? And in those later nights, he was careful not to say Ryan's saying, I'm thinking to myself, how hard is this? <laughs> how is it in every movie and book that the person can't, like, he did it with the prostitute. He yelled Ryan's name when he was sleeping with the prostitute after meeting her briefly in the street. And now when he's sleeping with his next, you know, consort or his next lover, he calls out Ryan's name again. I mean, I don't know what <laughs> your problem. history is, but, I mean, how often do you cry out, A, the person's name you're even with? And how hard is it to remember who you're with in the first place? I mean, this is not like an endemic problem that seems to plague people like it does in movies and books. Well, you know, movies and books. Movies and books. So that was particularly bad. I'm like, this dude is not good. He's not a – I don't like him. Also, like, his entire job is remembering things. <laughs> That's a very good point. Can I talk can't about remember that? not to speak his other person's name while sleeping with the new lover. Jeez. He, like, forgets who he's with. <laughs> it's bad. So that was amusing to me. Oh. And so he's in this keep and everyone seems friendly. And he has a thought that I thought the chains were well served in this friendly keep. And my thought is, that's cool. They're still slaves. Yeah, that doesn't make it better. <laughs> no. And he's so, like, they're trying to set him up to be the big... I don't know, Martin Luther King figure who was all about free the change, make them equal. But he constantly thinks things like this that seem to be like, well, they're doing all right. <laughs> so I'm like, what is with this? It's such a dichotomy. I, I, it's bad. Well, hopefully he like gets around to full revelation at some point. We can only hope. So, you know, he's 
told by Kristen that he has to leave the keep soon to continue his journey, and they're kind of sad about that because, you know, who likes to leave their, their lover behind? Even one who you're not really in love with because you still call out your previous lover's name. <laughs> and... She tells him to keep an eye out for the boats and to keep an eye out for the strongholds and report anyone who's not ready for what everyone thinks will be a big invasion coming soon, even if they're not telling the populace yet because they don't want to scare everybody. Even though they're not prepping for it. Yeah. And Davio's all like, oh, God, this weight on my soldiers, there's so much responsibility. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you got like, your job is to go around and just tell stories and maybe say, hey, those guys aren't so prepared. You have very little responsibility, my friend. Yeah, that's a very small amount of responsibility. Yeah, no, so he's full of it. <laughs> well, we knew that. <laughs> So he continues talking with Kristen, and he's prying about the border cities that guard the river, the uh, Slammerkin. Uh-huh. Yeah, Slammerkin. What a great name for a river. <laughs> Between Ur-Darbeck and Dragon Neck. With no dragons. No, with no dragons. Again, important to get that straight. Ur-Darbeck, dragons. Dragon Neck, no dragons. And... He asks, if the Sentinels need more protection, need more power to keep the Skyboat from breaking free, why not send them from the border cities? Surely all the dragons are dead. There's no reason to guard them. And Kristen's like, well, we can't leave the border cities undefended. And he's like, aha, defended from what? He's like, nothing. Just in case the Skylords decide to go north and land there and invade from the north. I'm like, hey, that's a really good idea. Why don't they do that? Yes. And also, if... If they haven't thought of it yet after hundreds and hundreds of years and they're not using real boats, then uh, chances are they're just going to continue their attacks like normal. <laughs> yeah, no. It's very stupid. I mean, the Sky Boats, blimps, the Sky Lords <laughs> and their blimps should be traveling around south or around north or around the Sentinels or there's a myriad better ways to do an invasion. And the fact that the Dar don't counterattack just shows that they deserve to be wiped out. Maybe it's all fake. Like maybe they're like fake invading for some. It's like bizarre, a 1984. Yeah, it's like, like we've always been at war with East, reason. you know Eurasia, and you've always been at allies with whoever. Okay, no, because people die. I know, but maybe they're like keeping their attention there so that they can do other nefarious things. <laughs> You're not going to mention like crisis actors, Danielle. Because I swear that is not cool. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like a possibility that they're just, like, using it as a way to, like, keep their attention. You need, like, the conspiracy theories theorists of Colin Beck to be like, the government doesn't want you to know. The war is a fake. They're behind it all. It's a possibility. We don't know anything about the on other than they were chased out and they're kind of in the right. Yeah, you, mean, you got a good point. And maybe they're doing something with the dragon people things and they're using the fake war as a way to keep their attention. Sure. That, you put way more thought into this book than I think even the author did. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but no. So he finds that very unsatisfying answer and isn't at all takes that face value. It's obviously a cover for something, probably the wild changed or something being a threat from the north. Yes. But we don't find that, I know, anything about that until the end of the section 12 chapters later. All right. So he leaves the keep. And while he's leaving, Barris, the jealous Jennyman, comes after him to to kill him because he's jealous that he got to because <laughs> because he was jealous that he got to sleep with the mage and and he wanted to do it first. Oh, he's one of I those guys. <laughs> yeah, and so a trained warrior against the story man with his staff. Obviously, Daviot wins, ties him up, and sends him back on a horse, tussled up like a sack of potatoes. Yeah, he became a magical fighter and leader of his people, so he's clearly yep. got some skills that 
prior to this, he didn't have. And that is all that is made of that whole thing. So Barris, I don't think it's ever mentioned again. And that whole scenario is sort of irrelevant. It just just serves again to highlight how how badass Daviot is, I guess. Magically, because he has not actually shown any character progress to prove that. But he beat up a gentleman who yeah. was jealous that he got to sleep with the girl he liked. He got to sleep with the 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 cheerleader while the high school quarterback was all jealous of him. Yeah, but then like two chapters ago, he let an entire family die. So choices. I don't disagree. So one night while he's camping out in the woods, he hears something and he goes to investigate and he leaves his staff behind because of course he does. He's not prepared. And he sees a bonfire with a bunch of the changed around it and the bonfire is glowing and a skyboat comes and lands with the changed and they start talking. Ooh. The on and the changed. There's clearly some conspiracy going on there. Well, I would bond with the on too if I were the changed. Yeah. So he has a brief more moment of moral panic because he's like, do I tell the others that the changed are in league with the Skylords? Because if I do, all the chains will be persecuted, regardless of whether they're part of the conspiracy or not. And also, we kind of need the change. The change underpin their entire society. So they provide all the labor, all like the farm work, the boat rowing, right. the servant work. So their society would kind of collapse without them. It's very almost like antebellum south, mm-hmm. where it re- the entire economy is reliant on slave labor. If they were to turn against the change, it would cause all kinds of problems and chaos. Or if the change turned against them and there was like an open revolt, it would destroy their society. And so it's like, no, I'll just keep it secret then and not mention it until I've had a chance to investigate further and see if it's really true. So the on are these boats are getting past the sentries, right? Sentinels, yes. Sentinels, whatever. <laughs> same, same word, different ending. Yeah. And so they're... <laughs> Like, so how come more of them aren't just, like, attacking from a different direction if they can Again, all, get, all get past – apparently they can all get past the Sentinels, so. So the, the, the leading theory of the people in charge, the, the mages, is that while they can bind the elementals to the small boats to help them evade the Sentinels, they don't yet have the power to bind them to the large boats. Mm. Why? I don't know. It's magic, Danielle. Don't ask questions. Is there any magic that could turn them invisible? Because I feel like that would be super helpful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that'd be great. But maybe. Maybe there's an invisible elemental that no one knows about because it's invisible, Danielle. Or cloud coverage with your elementals. That seems in line with their magic. And certainly it works in every cartoon I've ever seen. Yeah, like why can't they just bring in some clouds or fog and then the all the boats come in? We'll get to that again, okay. because I promise there's something that's related to that and makes your point even stronger. Excellent. I'm looking forward to this. Let's go. But yeah, so he sees the change conspiring with the Skylords, and he has a brief moment of moral panic, decides not to tell anybody and just carry the secret, and it chews him up inside, but he doesn't tell anybody. Maybe the best thing to do. Probably. All right. And then he wanders off course, sort of goes inland for a while because he's sick of dealing with the Keeps after killing Barris, not killing, after defeating Barris and all that. He says, like, I want to get away from Keeps. I want to get away from these people for a while and just sort of travel the land and meet the real Americans. <laughs> and he comes across a small village of seven houses. And Does the village have a name? 
No, no, Danielle, it does <laughs> he not. He names everything, and then he's like not naming these other things. All right, Dan, it might have a name. I don't remember what it is if it does, because there's so many freaky names, I can't keep them straight. <laughs> All right, found a village, but seven house village. Found a village, and what he discovers is that there are changed living in the village with Truman, mm-hmm. and even married to them. That proves my point. Last time, where I asked if they ever had relationships. <laughs> yeah, and I said, I don't know. Because he never mentioned it. But here, and this is brilliant, is he says, it was not unknown for Truman and Changed to consort casually. <laughs> Indeed, there had been establishments in Durbrecht that boasted the exoticism of Changed Cyprians. And I had heard tales of women who enjoyed the services of Changed lovers. So that was never mentioned before when he was living in Durbrecht and going to the houses of ill repute. But now that he meets... Then out in the wild, like, oh, yeah, I didn't mention that 200 pages ago. Maybe he just made it up as an author. I mean, that's my best guess. <laughs> and so he meets them, and apparently this one woman, her name is Peel or Pele. I don't know. It's P-E-L-E. She is a cat changed, and her husband was a woodcutter who, after her previous husband died, who was an actual changed person, not a Truman, after her previous husband died, the woodcutter worked long and hard so he could buy her and set her free. And there are little medallions you give to them to show that they're free. And then they got married and moved away from society because they were being judged and ostracized. So they set up their camp away with a bunch of other sort of like-minded people. Some of which were interspecies and, or inter, I guess interspecies is the right word. And some of which were just regular marriages between changed or true men who don't really care. And that's how the village started. Yeah, pretty much. I, mean, I don't know. It doesn't mention if they were the first or if they found the village. But regardless, that was where the village is now. And she has a couple of cute kids. And she can't have any more because apparently, and this is how she puts it, the seed of change in true men mixes no better than that of cat and dog. So that's a vivid metaphor. So to answer your all your questions from before, yes, they have relations. No, they can't breed. I'm glad we finally answered your question from 200 pages ago, Danielle. <laughs> I don't think I asked about their breeding habits, but I You did ask got... if they could, like, reproduce if they had kids or something together. Did I? Yeah, I think so. I may be wrong. Well, I'm really glad to know that information, actually, because I felt like we didn't have a whole lot of information about the changed outside of his, obviously, his personal opinion since the book's in first yes. person. Exactly. And so that was good to know all that. And he's talking to her, and, and he's like, hey, why don't you guys run off to Erdarbrek to go live with the wild chains where you won't be you know, persecuted by true men who don't like your lifestyle? And she just laughs at him because, one, it's very far away. So that's a long journey. And two, she's like, hey, do you think the chains who are living free are going to like this dude if he's a true man? Do you think they don't have any prejudices against their previous enslavers? And he's like, oh, I never thought that the change might have the same animosity towards Truman or prejudices that we might hold against other people. I'm glad he's learning things. <laughs> I, I swear, I can't tell if he's, you know, 20 at times or like five. I'm learning about people have feelings. Do they run into problems in that village? What do you mean? Like they're, they're all living in that village, but like Truman don't come out and like harass them while they're living in that village, right? They say no. Like the Truman who live in the village will go to the, to the nearby towns to buy supplies or whatever and sell things. So why would they ever move? It seems like a fairly idyllic and peaceful existence where they are. I mean, that too. Uh, so again, I, I agree. It's just sort of there so she can expand his mind about how changed might also be angry at Truman for enslaving them. 
which seems obvious, but... Well, he's young. He's still learning. He is. He hasn't he become did, a hero yet. He just spent four yet. years out of, out of college, or three years. I don't really know how long he spent <laughs> for it. It's very unclear. <laughs> uh, and there are a couple of great metaphors in this book. One is that uh, this sort of secret he's keeping about whether or not the change are consorting with the Skylord. He wonders that about these people, and he says, it remained a worm gnawing at the heart of my conscience, which is okay. That makes sense, I guess. I didn't know. It's better than the other one. Wasn't there one about early? About the Alembic yeah. of the eye? <laughs> that one. It's better. And then probably my favorite thing is he, he says something about like uh, waves. Uh, these, these, he mentions about the mare trod the waves in a dream, like some seahorse out of legend. And like seahorses exist. <laughs> Maybe they don't exist there. Maybe there are Greek gods, but there are not seahorses, Sam. Apparently, apparently not, but it was such a weird thing to say. Because <laughs> he means like a seahorse, like an actual horse riding on the sea, not like a seahorse like we think of it. There's a horse riding on the sea? Okay, so let me back up a moment because... <laughs> what? So he leaves the – so after he leaves the village he was at with the Truman and the Chains living together all, all hunky-dory, mm -hmm. he's going to the final keep on his journey south, which is the southernmost tip, and it's across this little causeway that covers the water. So it's like a little causeway that's only accessible at low tide. And he's riding his horse across the causeway, and he says, it looks like my horse was you know, walking on the waves like a seahorse of legend. <laughs> And I'm like, first off, if there's a seahorse of legend that isn't an actual seahorse, we're not familiar with it. Like, he says, like, it's something we should all know. Like, oh, yeah, the seahorse of legend, the, the horse that rides on the sea. And I don't know what that is. Just, you know, it's a very deep world building that the author was doing. And you're not party to all of the world building that was in his head. That's, that's the problem. So this is actually a point where I want to mention something because – I think, I'm convinced that this whole book, at least the first half of it is, very little plot happens in the first half of this book, as you can tell. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of world building. I think that the author just loves this world. He built this world and he loves it. He loves it so much and he wants to share it with you. And he wants to make sure that you experience all of it. So it feels to me like a little kid, you know, like a little kid draws something like, hey, look at this part of it and that part of it. And I drew this part too. And it very much has that feeling like he wants you to bask in this world he created. And he's going to make sure you see all of it. Except for the seahorse of legend. <laughs> Except for the seahorse of legend. So I feel like this book is so far 90% world building. And the author just really wants you to see all the stuff he's done. Be very impressed with all the names of the people he came up with. And all the different like societies like the changed and the mages and, the, and all the deep legends and stuff. But he never gives you any details about any of them. There just is a lot of it, yeah, with no details. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's very. It's like he's like he's almost like a um. Oh, I definitely have more. Like this is definitely a complete world. Like they have legends. They have the legend of you know Aaliyah and blah 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 or whoever. What's up? Don't ask. I'm not gonna. Don't worry about it. But trust me, I have that legend. <laughs> but there are legends. Let me tell you, there are some crazy legends. And so on his way down to the southernmost keep where he crosses that causeway on his seahorse, he stops at another keep briefly where he meets a very disgruntled mage who's kind of a jerk. And he treats all the change very poorly. And he gets talking to the changed 
One other change there, named Tom, who's a dog, changed. And he manages to draw out a little bit more information from him. And he learns that there's a network of communication between the changed. They like they pass messages back and forth. You know, so message, people will they'll talk, they'll gossip among themselves. So someone will take a boat, and that boat will carry changed. Who are the oarsmen? Will come down. They'll talk to the people in the port, and the people in the port will talk to the people in the keep. And so there's a whole communication network of the changed. That seems obvious. It does, and he is blown away by this. <laughs> I mean, of course they talk. <laughs> and the best part is, best part is, they have a name for him. Like he's become passed around as a legend among the change as Ert's friend. Ert's friend because he was friend. There's never been somebody friendly with the changed before. Which is ludicrous because we just left a village where a Truman bought and freed and then married a change, which is more than friendship. Like he loves yes. her. And so that gets no mention. But this dude Maybe he has a name too. You don't know. No. Why is Urchfriend like, oh, we've heard of you, Urchfriend, the Truman who thinks that maybe changed aren't deserving of being enslaved, but no one else seems to get that station. Like no one else has mentioned as how like, you're the first one who's ever done that, and we literally just left a village where they have that exact same mentality. And it's loot it's bonkers. Like, why is he so special? But the village is not the main character of the story, we already established that he gets special treatment and magical abilities and one-line descriptions to make him super fancy. I think it's so ridiculous. He, he talked to him like a person. He didn't stop having him as a servant. He didn't try to free him. He didn't do anything besides talk to Ert like a person and be mildly sad when Ert was sent away. That was like the extent of their friendship. He's like, I called him friend and I was proud to call him friend and that was it. And somehow that makes him the Martin Luther King of the changed. Maybe Ert's, Ert's version of the story was like very dramatic. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but it just seems so goofy, especially coming literally on the next few pages after he left that village where a man literally freed and married a change, which is more than he did. He didn't do anything to free Ert. He didn't help him at all get out of that situation. I agree. It's, it's nonsense. <laughs> but apparently he's the Ert's friend of legend. And so... He gets all inflated with himself about that. He's like, oh, I'm very proud to have that moniker. He seems a little full of himself. A little bit. I guess I would be too if I was the hero of a story. I mean, if everything worked out for you, you were the best fighter, you got to sleep with all the best girls, and even the people you loved were like, yeah, you can totally sleep with her. I won't be mad at you <laughs> for sleeping with this other girl because we were, you know, we were on a break at that time. Very convenient. It is. So he gets to the southernmost keep finally, and the, he hunkers down there for the winter festival. He starts talking to one of the other change there, in the name of Lan, who is a cat change, and he seems to be a lot more in charge of things. Like he seems to be sort of very smart and quick witted, and have like a lot going on, a lot of secrets. Davio starts to wonder if there's a conspiracy among the changed, a hierarchy, a something going on among them, which is again obvious to everyone who isn't a character <laughs> in this book. Apparently. <laughs> while they're in the keep, while he's in the keep, there's a terrible, terrible storm. And it lasts for days and days. And it's followed by a very terrible winter where everything freezes over and it's all iced over and it's terrible winter. And the maids of the keep and Davian are talking and she says, we believe that this is probably the Sky Lords doing it. They have now commanded the elementals. They can now affect the weather. And they mean to make us suffer through harsh winter as a way to soften us up for the coming invasion you think if they could control the weather they could like basically kill them yes why would they thank why you. would they not just <laughs> why do that this lay them out with siege also 
Also, if they can control the weather to that extent, why don't they just have the boats go around again? Like, why do they need to have all this? Why can't they make the boats invisible? This is what you were mentioning before. This totally validates your point. If they control the weather, all their tactics are completely nonsense. Yeah. I I don't understand the magic in this world or the use of the magic in this world or the military strategy in this world. It seems like, and this is just maybe me being a little bit mean to the book, but it seems like all the military strategy, all the magic, and all the use of magic is bent solely on giving Davi the opportunity to be the hero. Like, every decision that's made is like, well, we could do it that way, but that wouldn't give Davi a chance to save the day. <laughs> and again, I don't want to be mean to the book. I... I enjoy the book. I read it a few times. It's not a great book, but it's definitely fun. I think a, an abridged version would be very good. And I think it gets weirder, which I'm looking forward to. It's just there's a lot of world building this book that seems either superfluous or nonsensical. Maybe it's like the the Truman Show, the fantasy world of the Truman Show. Oh, so he's like Where everything Truman. is just circling around him. <laughs> it is very much like that. So it's not very relevant what else is happening or what the world's like because it's all made up. I mean, if this, you remember back to the to the map and my first problem with it was the name of the map, which was Daviot's world. Exactly so my point. the world <laughs> orbits around Daviot. <laughs> I think you're onto something. Maybe he wakes up at the end and it's all a dream. I, I would actually love that. It's like a St. Elsewhere type of situation where it's all <laughs> exactly. in the mind of some kid. That'd be genius. <laughs> it's in a snow globe. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the harsh winter. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So he, he stays hunkered down in there for the winter until it's safe enough for him to leave and go back north to Sturbrecht. And just before he leaves, Land, the chains he was talking with, gives him a weird sort of trinket. It, it's, a, it's a bunch of hair woven together into a, a friendship band, essentially. It's a friendship bracelet. He gives him a friendship bracelet made out of hair. As one does. Yeah. And he tells him... You know, some change will recognize this and give you certain deference or help if needed. And that's all he says. And so it's sort of like a symbol that he is a friend of the change or a certain sect of the changed who are the, I'm guessing, changed rebels or whatever. So all of the changed rebels would recognize the bracelet? Apparently. It's got like black, red, and stripes in it. It's all woven in a certain way. So apparently it's like a, a symbol they have. I don't know. You'd think they don't give a lot of those out to, to Truman. So they wouldn't really need that symbol to mark the Truman who are their friends. But he's got it. But maybe the change that are the rebels also wear it so that they know that the That'd other people are super also. obvious to all the people who look at them. I absolutely agree to that. <laughs> but I'm not sure if this book cares. <laughs> you got me there. But maybe there are people that are like, he can't be the first person ever to be, I know we kind of just talked about that, but he can't be the first person ever to be sympathetic to the cause. So he's maybe literally they have the not. Price. I mean, literally <laughs> he's not, but it's true like he is. Like everyone defers to him. He is paranoid because he's being watched by the colleges, the sorcerers and, and his and, and the Monacos and the leaders are watching him very closely because of his, you know, rabble rouser talk about being friends with Ert. And so everyone, he's got like a short leash on him. And yet he hasn't really done that much. Maybe all the other ones have died. Okay. Except for all the people in that village. But maybe there's... <laughs> we're ignoring them because clearly they're not super relevant to the plot other than giving him the idea that, like, obviously the change also has some issues with the true men. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all there to help Davio be more fully Davio. <laughs> Again, Truman Show, no pun intended, and... <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. I didn't get... That's great. <laughs> oh, I think I didn't get that. That's so good. 
I'd like to be very proud of that. Yeah, thanks. I really get puns, so. Oh, man. But when you do, they hit hard. I know. I try to save them up so that when I when I use them, they're a big surprise. <laughs> All right. So Truman Show. I'll find a name for the book. <laughs> anyway. So he leaves, leaves, he leaves there. And he goes, starts heading north, and he finds an abandoned farmhouse, and he digs his way inside, and he brings his horse inside. He digs his way inside. Well, he's like, dig out it- the snow, and, and he shoulders the oh, door okay. open. And Why did he leave when there's still all the snow? Why didn't he just hang out for a while? Because he was told to. His orders from the college were to leave as soon as he could to continue traveling and, and getting checking on the keeps to make sure they're prepared. Is it safe to leave yet? I mean, I there's mean, kinda, a ton of snow. Kind of. He's probably going to start to death. It's fine. Sorry, I'm going to start to death. We established that, Danielle. <laughs> Okay. All right. So he finds this, what he he takes to be an abandoned house, and he shows his way inside, and he starts a fire, and he brings his horse inside because there's no stable, which seems rude. And he has a dream. It's the same dream where he's in the woods, the haunted woods, and there's Ert, and there's Ryan there, and then there's a dragon there as well. And he's like, oh, a dragon. Cool. Changing it up. And so this thing is leaning very heavily into the foreshadowing department where he's been dreaming about dragons, talking about dragons. There are going to be dragons in this book, Danielle. Do you realize there are going to be dragons in this book? Because I don't know if you realize there are dragons in this book. Didn't I like, say that in like the third chapter? <laughs> like, aren't there going to be dragons? Yeah. And apparently, Danielle, we're still building up that there are going to be dragons in this book. Uh, if you're not convinced yet, still foreshadowed there are going to be dragons in this book. He's having dreams about dragons. And he was on a boat called the Dragon. And he talks about dragons. And no one's ever seen the dragons in a long time. And there's dragon castles in the sky. So, Danielle, dragons. Oh, so that happens. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of foreshadowing. This whole chapter is more world building and more foreshadowing. I really hope the plot starts in the next section because I cannot take more of this. (laughs) It seems pretty like world built. By now, I feel like it's more world built than like Lord of the Freaking Rings, and at (laughs) least that had some plot to it in between all the walking. There was a lot of walking in that book. So, so (laughs) he he leaves that little house in the morning after after shoveling the horse poop out of the house. Did he have to shovel the horse poop to get out of the house? No, he just did it to be nice, I guess. It's an abandoned farmhouse. He doesn't know if it's abandoned. It, it looked like it was abandoned. It was recently abandoned. And he goes to a village nearby. And he's like, hey, I stopped by this house. Do you know who lived there? And like, oh, yeah. Some people lived there, but they probably died in the snow. So don't worry about it. That's that's the thing. Yeah, they, he, they literally just say, uh, the general opinion was that their bodies would be found come the thaw. So, so were they like outside? Outside of the farmhouse when the snow hit? They didn't, like, go into their farmhouse? I don't know. Apparently, people have been freezing to death. It's a thing. Did they die in the farmhouse? Did Did Davio, like, look through the farmhouse where their dead bodies It was a single room. It was, like, not a big house. Why wouldn't they go inside? Danielle, I don't know, but they're conveniently dead, so Davio can feel no <laughs> guilt about stealing their stuff. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad he doesn't feel any guilt. It was convenient. It's so convenient. It's like Puritan. Apparently, they were introduced <laughs> just so they could die. Poor Puritan. The real <laughs> hero of the story. I think so. The real I mean, why don't they change talk about Puritan, Davio's friend? Yeah, why? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So as he's traveling now further north, the weather changes abruptly. It goes from super winter to a brief spring of a few days and then to super summer, where everything starts to flood and dry out. And it's obviously more magic from the Sky Lords who are causing a famine and trying to, you know, siege them out. Who were like, this winter's not working, let's do summer instead. No, I mean, the winter lasted for like six weeks. I skipped a lot. Sure, but clearly... Or maybe it was more than six to, weeks. They, I have they no didn't long... kill anybody other than that farmhouse couple. Well, I mean, their... a lot of people died and starved to death. Like, 
again, I, I he spent a long time in that keep on the south, waiting out the winter until like, he could leave. So a couple of months, I think. Not a lot happened. I just feel like they could be using those powers um, better. More effectively? Well, I mean, yes, more effectively. That's pretty much this entire book, Danielle. <laughs> if only they did it a different way, it would be much more effective. I mean, I feel like, we've talked about this before, but like in most fantasy novels or, you know, young adult dystopian novels, I feel like we would make much better bad guys because we're not stupid. <laughs> than the ones in most fantasy or young adult novels. And that's no different here, except it's almost worse because this isn't really young adult and it's not really that smart uh, about hiding the stupidity of the you know evil people. And even the people who aren't evil, the people we're rooting for are also equally stupid. It seems to be accurate thus far. All right. So as he's heading north, it turns into a terrible summer and there's no planting, there's no crops. It's going to be a starving to death famine kind of year. Yay. <laughs> He's passing by his village, his home village of, what's the name again? Whitefish. Whitefish! <laughs> Yay! The one I do know, the one village I know the name of. Our favorite village. He decides to spend a day or two and goes back to his home village and he finds his mom. Who did not die in the winter. She did not die in the winter, but apparently his younger brother drowned last year. Oh, bummer. And that's dismissed fairly quickly. Oh, poor younger brother. He basically says something like, he wasn't my favorite brother, and... <laughs> Yeah, although there's no love left between them, I was sad to hear his dad. But then his mom just moves on because, you know, the grief of the village people, you know, fishermen can't spend time on grief. They have too much <laughs> more to go on. It's just like dismissed immediately. Not a big deal. He wasn't my favorite brother. And so, literally something like that. And it was like, well, that's not cool, dude. Like, although we disagreed or we fought or whatever, like they had like childhood squabbles. And apparently that makes it so you don't care if they die. Well, he was 12 when he left. Maybe he, no, just he was 16 really... when he left, Danielle. Oh, yeah. He spent four right. freaking years of them I being- I keep forgetting that he didn't actually leave when they told him he was going to leave. <laughs> no, they kept him there and kept us there with him. <laughs> Oh, man. That poor brother. He can go join What's-His-Face who died in the battle. Puritan? Puritan. Yeah. And those people who uh, died from that house just yeah, got killed. farmhouse, Puritan. Maybe they come back as, like, ghosts and kick butt. That'd be, I mean, that'd be a great ending. I'd, I'd definitely like that. Maybe when they die, they become dragon riders. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if they get to the end and Daviot is like, no, nah, dra- oh, wait, no, I'm not the dragon rider? You mean Puritans? Oh, I guess yes, I'm- Yes, Puritan! <laughs> It'd be great if he was, like, not the chosen one after all. He was just full of himself. I want Puritan to be the chosen one. That would be so good. Okay, we can't do any fan fiction, Danielle. That's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> okay. So, the brother died. It was very unfortunate, but not really, because he wasn't his favorite. And yeah. And he stays in the village for a while. He he tells a few stories. Everyone's older. And he tells a story about a, the last dragon. And at the end of the story, his father says, in the god's name, what allies the dragon should make, eh? I'm like, okay, foreshadowing again. <laughs> so everybody, his father, his dreams, himself. There's just dragons everywhere, Danielle. Everyone's talking about dragons. Maybe we'll actually get to see a dragon in this book sometime. So I'm assuming like every time a dragon's mentioned, it seems to be foreshadowing. Every time. Every time. <laughs> and we have yet to get anywhere near a dragon ever in this book. Well, there's what? how many parts? Five? Four? Four. And we're Four halfway parts. through. So, I mean, we have two more parts to get through. So that's probably when the dragons will show up. I mean, I would hope so. Otherwise, this will be sort of the biggest tease of a book ever. <laughs> Which I'm kind of hoping for. Not gonna it, lie. It would be a lot of fun. So then he leaves his home village. <laughs> That's not the end? <laughs> no. I swear, Danielle, this thing never ends, I've told you. I'm, this was three chapters before the end, or two chapters oh. before the end. 
Goodness gracious. Okay, so he leaves the village, village. And he goes Whitefish. to Camber, the first keep he went to when he went away with the uh, the mage who found him. Is like, oh, come with me in four years. Mm-hmm. So it was Reckon and Andiart who were at that keep. And his sister apparently moved to that village with her husband. And so he looks her up and talks to her. And he and he meets Reckon again. And they like, say, hey, it's good to see you. It's been a while. And Andiart apparently was slain. Oh, poor guy. I know. I liked him. I liked him a lot. Why do all the characters I like die? <laughs> I know. Of all the characters we barely meet, he was the one I liked the best. <laughs> and they kill him. And apparently Reckon is very sad and it dawns on him that she and Andy were lovers because of course they were. No one can just be friends in this book. Well, you're stuck with this guy. Also, I'm very confused because why... Why is no one pregnant? Why, why are people getting pregnant left and right in this book if they're all just sleeping together, apparently? Maybe they have some kind of birth control method that has yet to be mentioned because it took 200 pages just to <laughs> to resolve whether or not the change could interdate with other species. <laughs> you got me there, Danielle. I, maybe in 400 pages I'll know whether or not they have some kind of herbal or magical birth control. They probably do. I mean, it's a magical world. So eventually he has a – and I said a lot eventually because things take forever – but eventually he has a conversation with the mage and the alder who is the son of the previous alder who had died in a battle earlier so everyone's just dying (laughs) and the lord protector gahan is dead he died of a sickness some suspect it was poison have we met met him did we meet him earlier okay nope he was just the, he's like the king of the realm you know he's the figure far off in the capital city and everyone's very upset about him dying because he was considered a great leader and his son is like 16, which is too young to, you know, really be an effective leader. And so Gahan on his deathbed, I think it's his name Gahan, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the Lord Protector appointed a man named Jareth to be the regent to help his son rule until his son attained his full manhood age of 21. Is he a goblin king? Uh, kind of. He is. I, I, he's more of a Jafar character because everybody Not hates him. Not the goblin king. He doesn't Not have like magical He doesn't do he contact juggling <laughs> and he doesn't have David Bowie's amazing uh, presence. <laughs> this would be so much better if he sang and had David Bowie's pants on and... <laughs> And stole Stole babies babies in the night. (laughs) (laughs) The story would be amazing. Oh, Danielle, if only. (laughs) Nope, this is Jareth, the regent, who (laughs) is the leader of the greatest of the border cities. And also, not just that, he is married to the sister of the uh, Gahan, the previous war protector. And everyone assumes he's seeking to consolidate power. That he wants to have maybe his daughter marry the new war protector. So he'll be not only the brother-in-law of the, or the uncle-in-law of the war protector, but also his father-in-law. I was going to say, yeah, there's some, 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 something going on there. I mean, royal family. We all know how this goes. Yes. Or if he kills off the, the kid, he will be the next in line because the kid's only 16 and has no heirs yet. So everyone's very suspicious of Jareth and nobody likes him. And they think that if he attempts to get more power, there'll be a civil war. And, oh, God, this is the worst time this could have happened. Why is this happening right now? I'm like, oh, obviously, it's happening because of either, you know, this is the Skylord's doing in some way. And I suspect, although it's never mentioned in the book, I think the change might have poisoned Gahan. That seems fair, though. And it's probably the change who are in league with the Skylords are the ones who poisoned him. But they don't really get that far. They just sort of say, it's terrible. We don't really know what's going on. Don't talk seditious talk about hating the Lord Protector, or not the Lord Protector, the Regent, 
outside of these walls, you'll be killed. That's pretty much where the whole section ends. So that he just died, like, super recently? Yeah, like, they literally hear about his death that day. Oh, okay. Because he got sick and then died, and some suspect poison, and everyone is sort of suspicious of, the, of Jareth. And again, all these characters, this whole plot about the Lord Protector, all the politics of this thing are introduced in the last, like, four pages of the section. Excellent. So we spent a hundred and some pages wandering the countryside, and then we have about four pages of actual plot and politics. <laughs> well, it'll be really relevant to Daviat in the future, I'm sure. And that is the end of the section, which takes us to the next section, part three, which in the Kindle table of contents is spelled wrong, which I think is funny. <laughs> it's called Destiny's Meaning, but in the table of contents in the in the Kindle version, it says Destings Meaning <laughs> with the ing instead of an, a y at the end all right dusting's meeting but it's actually <laughs> destiny's meaning yay maybe they'll be dragons uh 100 they're gonna be dragons danielle <laughs> otherwise this book is lying to me but yeah so there we go part two done was that actually a lonely road though it seems like he had quite a bit of contact with people yeah he had a lover he found <laughs> some very hospitable people he met a lot of villagers he went home and talked to his parents not that lonely no he clearly missed Ryan though because he called her name quite a few times during the story <laughs> he mentions her a lot and every time he's like oh i felt a pang of loss this is very much a tell don't show emotions kind of book maybe that's what they meant by lonely road he had to strike out on his own i swear to god daniel we're not doing any songs <laughs> <laughs> So I hope you enjoyed that section as much as you did the first one, and hopefully in the next one we'll get some actual plot. If I have to describe it again, I have to. You're going oh. to. So oh. I hope you, I hope you're in a monocos who's committed all of that Why? to memory. <laughs> it's not my ability. <laughs> to be fair, a lot more happened in this section than the previous section. Yeah, we'll see. It was more interesting than the, than the previous section, which was a lot of, of setup. That's true. But it was much easier to remember because there was only like 10 things that happened. <laughs> yeah, now there's like 15 that happened. I know. It's going to be hard. I'd like to say that I'm going to think about it between now and then, but that might be a lie. It's guaranteed a lie. <laughs> I wouldn't think about it either if I wasn't reading it. So if you have some guesses about what's going to happen in the next section or have some answers about who you think the uh, Sky Lords will be or what you think will happen between Ryan and Daviot, you can write in to us at bookretorts.com or any questions for us that we might be able to answer for you, let us know. Yeah, I had a lot of questions. So if people have answers, that would be swell. Yes, Like absolutely. if anybody can tell me how the elementals work. <laughs> <laughs> All that right, elementals. Got it. Yep. All right. So please write in and tell us how the elementals work, whatever or, you got. Or if you know about the seahorse. Right. Oh, please. If there's an actual, like, legitimate legend about seahorses that aren't actual seahorses, <laughs> the animal that exists. <laughs> seahorses that ignorant, aren't seahorses. <laughs> right. That aren't the actual seahorse that we know and love. Let me know. I'd love to read the legend of the seahorse from, you know, what ancient mythology or whatever it is. That would be great. I agree. Please let us know. All right. Well, until then, bye. Bye, everybody. Take care.
I'm, I'm going to feed the cat because she keeps coming in and meowing. And you may have a hot bunch of meows <laughs> a in the hot background. Bunch of meows, not a cold bunch. <laughs> right, go feed the cat. We'll, we'll, Hang on a we'll second. Keep going. 